Today on Craving Answers, Craving God, the subject is angels. Who or what are these beings? There are over 90 references to angels from Genesis to Revelation. Most are in the New Testament. Angels do seem to be very busy. However, from personal experience, I think most of us would say that we have no evidence of angel activity in our lives. Are they active in the present? Are they active in our individual lives? Are they all over the place? Or do they just show up once in a while? Today on this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God, let's talk about angels. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, based on information from Scripture, do you have an image in your mind of what an angel looks like? Probably not based on Scripture, probably more based on medieval art. In, in Scripture, angels, whenever they are portrayed, uh, don't always look the same. Sometimes, uh, you know, they're uh, beings with flaming light, and uh, sometimes uh, they're just ordinary human beings that people mistake for. I mean, sometimes they, they are angels who look like ordinary human beings, and people just mistake them for other people. So I don't know if there's really a clear answer to this. I don't have one in my head, to be honest with you, outside of, you know, Sistine Chapel stuff. Well, in Scripture, it seems like angels would appear powerful. They would appear winged. It seems like in most art, not that I'm an art student or anything, that angels appear to be feminine. Um, they apparently are formidable. They are, I think you would hold your breath if you were confronted with an angel. They appear to be powerful. Is it, do you think it's a bad idea to try to form a picture in your mind of what these beings look like based on the encounters we have with them in Scripture? Well, uh, I don't know how helpful it would be. It's, I mean, I don't think it would hurt. But uh, again, you know, sometimes the the way that you're describing angels, that is the way they're pictured. You know, uh, an angel will appear, and a human being will fall down, and the angel will have to say, you know, get up, don't worship me. Um, I'm a created being like you. Um, sometimes, though, angels appear in like to Abraham and his friend, uh, to Abraham and his wife, for instance. Uh, angels appear in. Genesis, I think, 18, 18, 19, 20, one of those chapters in there. And they just look like ordinary human beings. And um, so I, it's very different throughout Scripture. I, I don't, it's, it's hard to, like, pin down what does an angel look like because they do, they do look different. And, and then, you know, you get the vision of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, the, the seraphim who have, uh, you know, they have wings and they have hands covering their faces and hands covering their feet, which looks very different than the angels that you know, showed up on Abraham's doorstep asking for a bite to eat on their travels. So d definitely there's a difference throughout Scripture uh, uh, in the way the angels are described as appearing. Have you ever seen the depiction of what look like sort of little babies with little wings floating on clouds, mm, yeah. uh, playing harps? Yeah. You think angels look anything like that? Oh, I don't, I, I couldn't say no for sure because I've never seen an actual angel, but uh, the, they're never described as babies. In, uh, in Scripture, you know, they're never described as little infants. So we have three communities we're talking about here. We have the uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as one community. We have the human beings that he has created. 
those of us who have walked this earth in another community, and then we have this angelic host, which apparently numbers in the thousands of thousands. Let's talk about relationships here. What's the relationship, as far as we know, between Almighty God and his angels? Yeah, so angels are described as messengers in Scripture. In fact, uh, the Greek word, uh, there's a Greek word, it's angelos. We get the English word angel from that. It, it just means messenger. It can mean a human messenger, uh, you know, somebody del- delivering a letter. That's the Greek word for that, that sort of person. It can also mean this heavenly messenger. So angels in Scripture, created beings, created by God, and to some sense, there are they are his servants. Their job is to serve him and to do what he bids. So that's the relationship with God is um, servants. They work for God. They do what God wants them to do. We spend a lot of time both on this program and for folks who are in the habit of attending church or Bible study, talking about the relationship between God and men mm-hmm. and women. Uh, that's probably a program all to itself. What about the relationship between angels and human beings? Yes. So angels are, uh, again, uh, they're extremely powerful. Uh, Human beings, like you mentioned, that that there are times when human beings see angels. Uh, So for instance, when uh, Gabriel appears to Mary uh, to announce uh, her pregnancy with Jesus, um, Mary's very, very afraid when she sees this angel. Uh, so uh, apparently many humans, when they see angels in the scripture, have this sense that angels are more powerful than them, that they have these the, the, t- intense amounts of power. Um, but however, angels' job is, the, the angels, uh, one of the angels' jobs as the servant of God is to serve uh, human beings, is to protect God's people. And you get that image uh, here and there throughout the New Testament. It's not ever sort of unpacked systematically, but you get little hints here and there of that. And um, uh, you also do, uh, you have this, uh, there's a text in 1 Corinthians. Oh gosh, now it's I, the, the reference is escaping me. It's either 10 or 11, I apologize, uh, or, or chapter 6. Honestly, it could be any chapter in Corinthians at, at this point of my mental uh, state, but it's in First Corinthians. I'm convinced of that. Where um, uh, it's described that human beings are going to uh, human beings are going to judge the angels someday, and so there's this sense that that human beings ultimately, because they are created in God's image and angels aren't, have a status that's higher than angels. Although the angels are more powerful, that the angels exist also to serve us as God's people as well. Yeah, that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In preparation, I came across that, and that's kind of a head-scratcher for me. Um, We know that amongst ourselves, we human beings, we are not to be about the business of judging each other, at least not according to our own standards. Judge not lest you be judged. But how do I graduate to a place where I'm judging angels? I It's beyond my ability yeah. to imagine what that would be like. Yeah, so in 1 Corinthians 6, the context is is that um, Paul is telling uh, Christians in this church that you should not take each other to court. Uh, you shouldn't take – you guys, uh, in your Christian worship, 
in your life in Christian community, you appeal to a higher authority than the civil government. Civil, civil government, of course, ha- has a, a wonderful place that God has designed to protect humanity. But as far as Christians um, having complaints with other Christians, the civil courts are the, the criminal courts. Well, I should stick with civil courts because I don't know enough about law. But uh, uh, the civil courts are not the place to adjudicate these things. And one of the reasons he gives is that you guys have authority from God. You will someday judge the angels. So you should not be asking other people to judge your business because you, you know, you and your friend in church who have this gripe, you have the Holy Spirit and you have the ability to judge this situation because the Holy Spirit's been given you. You've been made in God's image. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Don't go to court. And one of the ways he describes this is that someday you are going to judge angels. And this is, again, I mean, one of the problems we have here, I could probably, you and I could probably make this episode a lot more interesting if we would just indulge in rampant speculation, which is a lot of what happens when people talk about angels and demons and the such. And you try and keep it to scripture. And so there's a lot of times when I'm going to say, I just don't know. You know, I don't have enough details for that sort of, uh, to, to make an answer that might be halfway interesting. But you do know uh, from Scripture, from Romans chapter 5, for instance, uh, we as human beings in Jesus Christ, <clears throat> it's insisted, will someday judge the whole world. We will rule the whole world. We are the heirs of the world. <clears throat> I think one of the things that's going on in First uh, Corinthians 6 is that Paul is saying that the angels are a part of that. You will someday be in charge of the angels. And whether he means that you are going to judge the angels who rebelled against God along with Satan and fell, that that's going to be your job, or whether he means that in the new creation, the angels will be working for you. They, With all the power they have, they will be your servants. At any rate, human beings have a status that's above angels in God's eyes. And so at some point in human history, at some point uh, in the new creation, perhaps I should say that better, we will sit in judgment even on the angels. In Luke 16, that's where we have the story of Lazarus and the rich man, a parable that Jesus tells. The rich man, both men die. The rich man goes to a place of torment. And Lazarus, who was a poor man, quote, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Is this figurative language, or can I expect to be carried to heaven by angels when I pass away? Uh, carried to heaven is probably figurative. There's probably not a weight that needs to be lifted by the angels. You know, it's not like your soul needs to be packaged up and, uh, you know, shipped up to the throne room of God. However, um, it also to uh, circle back to this point, we don't have a whole lot to go on here. This is one line in a parable. And so uh, I wouldn't put too much weight on it. I wouldn't insist that, you know, hey, the angels are gathered around the deathbed of the saints eager to carry up the their souls. However, uh, oh, that that being said, I don't see any reason why this wouldn't be the case. I'm trying to like play both sides of the fence, I realize here. Uh, I don't see any, there's nothing to prohibit this from being the case. And in fact, um, I know uh, several people who um, in the rooms where a loved one has been passing away have said that they've had, uh, th- these are, you know, reasonable people who are not prone to this sort of you know, not not prone to like uh, uh, visions Romance. and hallucinations and romantic speculations, who have said, you know, I witnessed angels, angels singing when so and so this loved one passed away, and um, I, I don't see any reason to think that this would not be the case. 
I have a relative who uh, some years ago went into the hospital, was having some difficulty, and the family, our family, gathered at the hospital. We were not expecting any drastic outcome here, but uh, they decided to move him from where they had examined him to a different place in the hospital, and they took him to that room, and so a handful of us kind of followed, and we were in the hallway as they were trying to sort of get him settled. Yeah. And then he had, it went south and, you know, there people came running from everywhere and they were working on him and talking to him and they sat him up and all of a sudden, and I was in the hallway, I could see this. He looked up and his eyes got as wide as they could get, which usually suggests that He's seeing something. I don't know. I know you don't know either, but it was a very interesting experience. And then he passed away and then he was gone. Uh, is it wrong to try to take something from that? <laughs> I, I, come on, Pastor. Come yeah, on. I, I know. Yeah, so I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I, you know, a lot of Christians' experiences, you know, at times of death are in, in, um, you know, uh, with somebody who's going to die, you know, the, spending a life informed by scripture, you, you know, I, I don't, I think it would be crazy. So I, I realize if you're an unbeliever listening to this or an outsider, this, this a little bit sounds like crazy talk, but all I can say is that any, any community, um, things happen to those communities that look like craziness from the outside. And so just hang with me here. Um, you know, Christians spend their lives informed by the story of Scripture. And then when things happen to them like this on their deathbeds or other times of their life, moments of drastic need, I've heard of people who, uh, uh, I've heard credible stories of people uh, pulled out of car wrecks and rescued and only to look around and find that the person who pulled them out is gone and there's really nowhere they could have be hiding at that moment, you know. Informed by a lifetime of reading scripture, when when Christians have these experiences, uh, it would be very very difficult for me to say, "Oh, that's not true." You're you're just making that up. I, I just don't think that's the case. I think that people do have experiences like this. Well, I you know I, so I believe in angels. I believe that there's a spiritual world that exists out there, uh, including angels, servants of God, whose jobs whose job is to, to, to work for God and to protect his people. You have texts like this, uh, tiny though it is, and in a context of a parable where angels are carrying um, someone up to be with God after their decease. And then when fellow Christians have experiences where they see things like this, all I can say is, you know, praise the Lord. I, uh, I, I myself have never had an experience like that, but I, I know people who have and for whom it was a powerful experience. People I trust, people who, like I said, are, are not prone to sensationalism. And so I can just say, you know, thank God for that. And it's, it's in scripture. They've experienced it. Uh, I'm, I'm on board. You think I should be scolded here? The, the Bible talks about angels and it tells us what it tells us and it goes so far and it doesn't go any farther. Yeah. Um, do you think the proper attitude is, uh, look, Chuck, you know, you've got the information you've got, that's all you're going to get. So move on to something else. No, I, I, I think it's always appropriate to push for more and more knowledge. 
there's a lot of things in, in in the Bible that you and I have talked about on this podcast, and a lot of stuff that we haven't talked about. That you know, we're given a certain amount of information. You know, everything that we know, none of us know anything 100 percent perfectly, and the the pursuit of knowledge is is always a good thing as long as it's done with wisdom. As long as we understand that. Well, this is kind of a side topic, so I apologize for that. As long as we understand that a certain amount of knowledge of certain topics could be dangerous. There are things, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. This is really kind of a rabbit trail. Uh, you know, I'll be, I'll, I'll do premarital counseling with a couple, for instance. And one of them will have this idea in their head that I really, real, I really, really need to know what the past romantic experiences of my spouse have been. And the spouse will, you know, I can tell that the, that the, the, the person they're marrying will want to share and be open, and they're not, they don't want to hide anything. But there's certain things that, you know, they're ashamed of, you know, bad decisions they've made, dumb relationships. They, and, you know, one of my jobs in that moment is to encourage the inquisitive uh, member of the couple that um, allow them to be honest, but, but there's some stuff that if you knew it, it would be damaging to you. And if you knew it, it would be damaging to them. And to know where that point is and to say, I'm going this far and no farther. And there's lots of things in Scripture about that, like the problem of evil is one. The question of predestination is another one. The question of the uh, um, you know, the, the relationship between um, determinism, that's a bad word, uh, God's sovereignty and human free agency. This is one where at some point you just have to say, I'm not going to speculate anymore because I don't have enough information and I'm going to do damage to my own belief system if I go here. Angels, I don't think that that's one of them, except if your quest for knowledge of angels leads you to overemphasize angels' roles. You know, the Bible definitely doesn't over... The, the Bible pictures angels active. Here's an interesting sort of biblical fact for you. Angels are very, very active in the book of Acts, extremely active. You can find them all over the place in the book of Acts. They meet people and they, you know, they meet meet Peter and tell uh, meet Philip and tell Philip, hey, go go meet this Ethiopian uh, on his way back home from Jerusalem. Meets Peter and says, Peter, uh, uh, go visit Cornelius's house in Caesarea. Um, uh, uh, delivers Peter from jail. Angels show up at Peter's jail and get him out. Very very, very active, extremely active. However, if you read the uh, the letters of Paul and Peter and John. Angels are mentioned, but never really explained. So I think it's worthwhile to step back and say, what does that mean? Why would that be the case that angels are super active, but never really explained? And one possible conclusion, and, and I'm willing to, to, to entertain uh, alternative explanations. One possible reason for that could be that angels are super active, like in the book of Acts. In the story of people's lives, angels are super active, but they're not so important that Paul, Peter, and John at all want to take a lot of time to explain who and what they are. They're doing stuff. Be comforted by that, that God has his, God has his ambassadors and his messengers and his servants at work in the world, taking care of people, um, uh, ushering people, ushering people's souls uh, safely to the throne room of God upon death, that sort of thing. But as far as like trying to unpack, so you know, who are they and what do they look like and what do they do and were they really involved when I lost my job or were they really involved in that uh, sickness that I had and things like that? 
it's it's good at that point just to say, well, we don't know. We don't know. But we do know they're active, but that's about what we can say. So earlier in the in the show, I, I said, are they all over the place or do they just show up once in a while? Can you lean in a direction there? Well, they're all over the place, right? I mean, there's... Uh, are they in here? Well, so you're, I, I, I don't know. I don't have the equipment to sense that sort of thing. Uh, maybe if we had some sort of angel meter or something. I, I really don't know. They're, they're not, so there's, you know, they're not omnipresent. So angels aren't everywhere at the same time. Um, so it's hard to say. I, I will say, you know, Jesus on the cross, oh, he's before the cross, he's on trial with Pilate, and Pilate basically is kind of flexing on Jesus a little bit. You know, hey, I'm, uh, you know, I represent the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire in the world. And, and Jesus probably knows all this. He, Jesus probably knows that there are several legions that Caesar has at his disposal, far away at that point, probably somewhere in Gaul or someplace like that, you know. Um, but Jesus flexes back. Hey, look, if I wanted to, I could call down, I can't remember what he says, is how, how many legions of I think angels? It's 12. 12 legions of angels. Like, I, could, I, I could definitely outman you. If this is a question of just numerical strength, I have this one, just so you know. But I'm choosing to go to the cross, you know. Well, twelve legions of angels—that's an awful lot of angels. And um, angels—do they have different roles? I, I don't know. There's that famous John Milton poem where he's—I uh, could quote it to you, but nobody wants to hear me recite poetry—where uh, he's grappling with the loss of his sight. He's become blind, and he's basically saying in this poem, he's like, I "I'm useless now. Like I'm basically trapped at home in a chair. I can't work anymore. I can't go out anymore." And he receives this comfort from God that there are angels whose job is not to rush to and fro over the world, he says, delivering messages. They also serve who only stand and wait. That there are angels whose jobs, John Milton says, just to be in the presence of God and be there. Uh, you see this in Isaiah 6. I, re I referenced earlier the seraphim who are circling around uh, God's throne. And so do angels have different jobs? There's probably a gazillion angels, right? Um that's uh, a made-up number. It's not um, it's mathematical big. certainty. Yeah, where are they at, and what are they doing? I, I I don't know, but I do know that they are active and they're working for God. So what they're doing is good, good for Him and good for us. In the book of Hebrews, the writer to Hebrews cautions people against worshiping angels or elevating them to a place where they shouldn't, to right, which yeah. they shouldn't be elevated. Do you think maybe that's why we don't have a lot of information about angels? Because if we did, we would it wouldn't take us very long. We'd be making mistakes. We'd be worshiping angels. We'd be uh, doing things that, that are inappropriate. I, I think that's right. I think that you know. So again, you know, to go back to uh, to, to Mary and Gabriel, and she and she falls down in fear. The tendency would be to worship an angel if you could see an angel. You know, Lewis says the tendency would be to you know if you could see your deceased loved one in heaven right now, the tendency would be to fall down and worship them in their glorified state. Uh, and so there's a couple things. First of all, that. Second of all is um, the, the New Testament writers definitely are in the business of keeping the main thing the main thing. Angels are interesting, for sure. Angels are not Jesus. Uh, mainly, uh, our relationship with God is I say mainly uh, one hundred percent of our relationship with God happens via our union with Christ, our connection with uh, our connection with Jesus Christ. We pray to God uh, in the name of Jesus. 
We love each other in the name of Jesus. Everything we do as Christians is done in the name of Jesus. And that's not just a trite like, so we tack the words in the name of Jesus on everything. It's that we we act and function as those who have been united to Jesus Christ. Angels have a certain function to perform, um, but they aren't Jesus. They aren't Jesus, and they aren't meant to be worshipped. And if this is kind of what I was trying to say a few minutes ago. If our speculation about angels leads us to ignore uh, the completed work of Jesus Christ and the ongoing application of that completed work of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we're misusing the doctrine of angels. And I think that, I think you're totally right. That's one of the reasons why we're just not given a ton of information because it's not necessary. We got Jesus. Matthew 25 gives us the account of the sheep and the goats mm-hmm. where at the end of time, the Lord will return and separate the sheep from the goats. Uh, the sheep are on the right-hand side. They go on into eternity, eternal life. The goats are condemned to eternal death. When Jesus addresses those on his left, the ghosts, he says, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Yeah. Who are the devil's angels and where do they come from? Yeah. So again, not a lot of information explicitly in scripture. There's not a lot of places where it's unpacked, uh, but it's mentioned as far back as the book of Job. It's mentioned that there are uh, angels. I can't remember where in Job it is. I'm really off my game today. Sorry. Uh, where in Job it is, but at one point, um, I believe that it's Job. Maybe it's one of Job's friends, but Job mentions that that God, there are angels that God says are wrong. Um, we don't know exactly what happened. It does appear that we do know that God made all things good and that God created angels in order to serve him. It does appear from texts like this, the one you've talked about, that there are angels who have turned and abandoned the service of God for some other agenda um, that, that ends up being a destructive agenda. I'm not sure if that was their goal originally, if these angels wanted to destroy, or if they just thought they could do things better than God. At some point, perhaps, though, God gave them free agency, which they used to turn against him. And now those and so we're drifting a little bit into the subject of demons, too, which, of course, is related to that. Maybe we can come back and do an episode on Are the on devil's demons. angels demons? Yeah, so this is... Interchangeable terms. Yeah. So this is a uh, this is again. Is there direct correlation in scripture? Uh, there isn't. But uh, just going tr- trying to read the whole Bible and then kind of gather up the little bits of data we have and make you know ten percent of a puzzle. So we have it's, it's like we have this puzzle and the, the the box has been spilled and many of the pieces aren't there. The pieces that we're supposed to have we have, but when we put them together, you can only see like ten percent of the picture. So a lot of this perhaps is guesswork, of course, but um, the devil's angels, Matthew 25, right? Mark likes the word unclean spirits. Other of the gospel writers like the words demons. Um, These angels who are serving, uh, who are, I shouldn't even use the word serving, these angels who are now working against God and his desire to build up life and wholeness and new creation and are trying to destroy and what Jesus is saying in this story is that God created hell specifically for these angels who have rebelled and are now working against him. You mentioned this earlier, talking about human beings encountering angels who take a human form. Mm-hmm. Um, in Hebrews 13, it says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Yeah. Well, that 
presents something of a conundrum. It almost suggests, at least to me, that this is more than rare, that this, this will happen with a certain amount of frequency. We, I might go so far as to say every human being over the course of his life will have an experience like this, but of course we'll never know it because we are unaware that the stranger that we're talking to is actually an angel. Yeah. You know, it's almost like I wish I hadn't put this in there. If I don't get to know it, why do you, why do you tip me off to it? Yeah. So what are we supposed to do with a hint like that? Well, so a couple of preliminary points, then we can talk about exactly what the writer of Hebrews is doing there. Uh, he says some have, so it's definitely not, he's not encouraging us to think that we always do. Um, that's the first preliminary point. Second preliminary point is almost certainly referring back to the experience that we talked about earlier where um, uh, Abram has um, entertained these angels, uh, which is a bizarre story, which we could, it would be a, probably a half hour to talk about this story where three men come, uh, ask for food, he feeds them. At some point in that conversation, he realizes that one of them is uh, Yahweh, the creator God in human form and that the other two are angels. At some point in that story, Yahweh departs, although we're not told that he departs, and it's just the two guys in Abram, who, the two angels in Abram. Uh, those two angels go into Sodom and Gomorrah where uh, uh, people try to rape them. So it's an incredibly bizarre story. But, but the main question is, what is the writer of Hebrews trying to do? And what he's saying is, you know, show hospitality. Show hospitality. And one of the motivations is this, is that, so, you know, in the, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, they didn't have uh, fancy hotels and stuff. There were definitely hostels where people could stop for the night and pay some money to get some food and, you know, have some, a place to lay down indoors. Uh, famous, very, very famous in the ancient Greco-Roman world for being very, very immoral places. You know, if you wanted to get beat up and have your money taken from you, a hostel was a good place to check yourself into. So one of the alternatives is um, people didn't normally do this, but uh, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging Christians that when strangers come to you, take them in, take them in. And one of his motivations is you don't know, don't do not treat people as though they're inconveniences. Do not treat people as uh, um, uh, you know that they're burdens, objects of fear or burdens. Yeah, um, treat them as though they were angels. Now I. I, I do take that seriously. Again, we've talked about this. Um, in Scripture, angels show up sometimes and they just look like ordinary human beings. One verse, this is one verse in Hebrews. I would not spend my lifetime speculating. You know, I would I, I would not go to the mall and w walk around wondering if, uh, you know, that woman is that who's stranger and angel? At the Maybe clothing that's rack. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't do that. But, but I would say be hospitable, treat people with kindness. You never know when God's servants might be. Some people have experienced God's messengers in human form doing something and have been blessed by entertaining them like, like Abraham was. So it's, 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 less a, it's less an explanation. I, I, I know you, I, I, I sense that too, that what you're saying, like, I wish you hadn't even given me this hint. But it's, it's less trying to unpack, you know, a sort of a theology of angels in human forms and more an encouragement to hospitality. But it is in there. It is isn't. It's possible that you have met an angel. Here's my last question, and I wonder if you just indulge me here a little bit. Um, when it comes to angels, I think to myself about 
times in my past when life was sort of taking a certain direction or I'd gotten myself backed into a corner and somehow it worked out that I got out of it and I got out of it without, you know, much, not much more than a scrape. Mm -hmm. And I have this, I imagine, I'm going to speculate here now, so don't get too nervous, that someday when I'm gone on to my heavenly reward, I'm in heaven sitting on a heavenly park bench Angel sits down next to me and he says, you remember when you were such and such an age and you got yourself in quite a pickle and it was not looking good, but everything worked out. Yeah, I remember that. And the angel looks at me and says, that was me. God sent me to work those circumstances so that uh, you were not destroyed or you were not ruined. What do you think of that speculation? Uh I, it seems totally, Come on, work with me here, Pastor. It seems Help totally me. appropriate to me. I, it seems appropriate to me. I, the, in the screw tape letters that C.S. Lewis wrote, there's a, a moment when uh, sort of the main human character in the story uh, dies. He's a believer, and he dies. And Lewis says uh, he instantly can recognize the heavenly host. He instantly can recognize the angels for who they are, and what they were doing in his life. And that's just that's speculation like you're doing too. But I think it's totally appropriate. I think, you know, uh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Lutheran Christian. Uh, you know, we have a morning prayer some that, that Lutherans sometimes pray. And it, you know, prays like, God, let, let your holy angels watch over me. And um, I think that's totally appropriate. I think that there is going to be a moment when we say, you know, God was definitely active in the world and direct. He was using means to do things in the world, and maybe at the moment we didn't even realize that they were angels who were doing that, but someday we will. I think that's an appropriate... The thing. hard part of all this for me is the sort of moving target characteristic of it. If we spend some time thinking about angels, we can start to speculate, and we can start to uh, believe things that aren't actually taught in Scripture. We can go too far. Yet it doesn't seem appropriate to just ignore them altogether and say, well, it's, right. you know, there are too many unanswered questions. Let's just not think about it at all. Do you have any recommendation for that? Yeah. I, so learning to love mystery, learning to love, uh, learning to love the unfinished, you know, learning to love the, the things with the gaps in it. I, um, which, which, you know, we all kind of want 100% certainty and we want to know. And I think that probably the younger generations um, are, who, who are more seeped in postmodern ways of looking at the world are more comfortable with mystery and gaps. And just to appreciate the fact that God's in charge, these sorts of things are told to us to comfort us. Uh, God is in charge. God is not absent. God is everywhere. Jesus Christ is everywhere. And even on top of that, he has his messengers, his servants who are everywhere as well. And to take comfort, even if we don't understand everything they're doing, take comfort in that. Well, thanks for indulging me just even a little bit. I know it was hard on you. <laughs> I'll be all right. I'll recover. And we say thank you to you for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God with Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. When you select an episode, you'll have the opportunity to click the like button or to click the share button on Facebook or Twitter. There's also a place where you can leave a comment. I'm Chuck Rathert. Thanks for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God.